0: Our scripture passage today comes from John chapter 6, beginning in verse 16. God, hear God's holy and authoritative word. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. And they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. On the next day the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with the disciples, and that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks So when the crowd saw Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. The grass withers and the flower fades. You may be seated. As we come to God's Word, we need His help. We need His Spirit to enliven it to our hearts. So let us begin with a moment of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for revealing Yourself to us through Your Word. Give us ears to hear today. Give us eyes to see Christ. May Your Word have its full work done in our lives. We pray now in Christ's name. Amen. We're trying to take larger chunks of John's gospel so we can make good headway each week. Uh, In many ways, I was tempted to do all of chapter 6 in one sermon because it's this continuation of the feeding of Jesus feeding these 5,000 people miraculously along with women and children. And so it all is tied up in revealing this one miracle and Jesus' interactions in light of it. That being said, I don't know that you would want to stand for as long as it would take to read John chapter 6 in its entirety, and it's difficult for us to not get too far ahead in the narrative, wanting to, to talk about what's coming up next, or to remain in what has already happened. So we have this kind of interchange, this change of scene here, before we get into the full discourse of what the miracle truly meant. Jesus is beginning to allude to it as he has talked to these people who have come Seeking him is what the passage tells us. Before we begin, I think it's helpful for us to zoom in on one aspect of what's going on. And throughout this interchange, beginning last week with the miracle of this crowd following Jesus, we're told they come seeking after him because they saw the signs that he did uh, on the sick. And so all of a sudden, Jesus has 20,000 people standing before him. And, uh, and they are coming for varied motivations. And I'd like to make a suggestion that one of the main motivations that fuels all of our lives is fear. I don't consider myself to be a social media guru or with the times or cool in any way. Uh, but there is this acronym you may be familiar with. It's called FOMO, Fear of Missing Out. Fear of missing out is a great way to understand our cultural moment. We live in a time when people are unwilling to commit to things because they're afraid that they'll miss out on something better. This is most uh, apparent to me as we promote things for our church on, on Facebook. We want to put an event out there. It used to be back when Facebook started and you would post events. The main thing that it would show you is going. Going. But most people don't want to click going, they want to click interested. And so now when you promote an event on Facebook, that doesn't even give you really the option. In the main ad is you can just click interested and you'll get updates about it. And the overwhelming majority of people that respond to any event on any Facebook event, ours included, they click interested. Because they don't want to commit to coming to something. They might be interested to come, they might actually intend to come, but making a commitment to come... Well, our fear of missing out wouldn't allow us to do that, unless we are certain that there isn't something better that might come up. It's in the church, as many churches have taken away the idea of church membership. I don't really want to commit here. Then there's expectations I might show up and have to do things. What if something else comes along that's better? A fear of missing out. As these people are seeking and clamoring after Jesus, they are also driven by their fears. There's a number of them that uh, we'll look at, reflect upon, and hopefully apply to our own lives. Because the question we really want to answer is, where does our fear drive us? What are the fears we have in our lives, and what is that driving us to do? We are all driven by our heart motivations... Our emotions, our circumstances, and our fears, and our loves. These people have been clamoring to follow after Jesus, we're told in the last section, and and even at the end here of Jesus' miracle, that they saw the signs. They heard about the signs. They lived in a world that was much more painful than ours. Though our world is very painful, we all suffer from illnesses, disease, mental health issues, pain in relationships, death. But we live in a sanitized version of that. In the first century, it would have been much more acute. So the fact that now somebody is showing up and is able to alleviate the fear of illness, the fear of death, the fear of pain, that fear is driven them to Christ, who is showing that he is able to do something about it. The other fear that they are driven to follow after is their fear of, of provision. We're told uh, last week we talked a lot about how they ate to their fill in a way that they probably would never have eaten before. Living in a scarcity culture, fear of hunger, fear of security. They wanted to make Jesus the king because they could see his power. Living in fear of an oppressive government and uncertainty among the people of God. Fear that they didn't know where they belonged, where their next meal might come from, perhaps. But as we get into this passage, we see they followed across the sea to find Jesus. We'll talk about him walking on the water, don't worry. Skip over it for a moment, we'll come back to it. But they go and they try to find where Jesus went. They can't understand what had happened to him. And they said, they went to Capernaum. They're seeking Jesus. you think they're seeking them for the signs. In fact, we're told they sought him for the signs. But Jesus gets to this idea of provision, fear of hunger, fear of security, fear of want of what we need and desire in our lives. Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. If you worked a daily job, uh, and basically your pay gave you enough to eat for the day, But you could follow Jesus and he might give you a feast every day. You don't have to do a whole lot except for stay close. That's what's happening here. These people have received a great gift. And it has caused their motivations to become divided, impure, if you will. They are seeing Jesus as the provider of good things, which isn't wrong. But they fail to understand what the sign truly pointed to. See, when they talk about signs... Signs are things that signify something greater. It's not merely a miracle for a miracle's sake. When Jesus does things, it points to something far more important. It points to himself and what his kingdom is about. And they are, the people aren't understanding this. The disciples don't quite understand it. They may be one step more along the way. But the crowd certainly isn't understanding the importance of this miracle. What it truly points to instead, what they're interested in, is food it's a perversion of the gospel we see pervasive throughout the world jesus is merely the one who will come and give us good things he will meet our needs he will feed our hungers he will bless us if we obey him if we seek after him in this certain way if we keep this journey up if we do the right things if we say the right prayers if we give the right amount God will reward us. That is not what Jesus came to do. That is not the gospel. It is true that God does bless His people, but it is not a give and take. It is not a token to get a reward. And so they had the same fears that we had. We want our lives, our needs to be met. And as Jesus rebukes them here by saying, you know, you're not even coming for me because of the signs. You're just coming to get more food. Uh, They respond with this. What must we do to be doing the works of God? What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them and said, this is the work of God. That you believe in him who he has sent. Ultimately, the fear that is most concerning the ministry of Jesus and the people following him in this religious culture is the fear of missing out on what God requires. The fear of missing out on what God is doing. The promise of this Messiah to come. All that God is doing in redemption. They don't want to get it wrong. It's a good fear to have. But even the question they ask is one that is a bit misguided you see they come they come to jesus he rebukes them he says look you need eternal life food that endures to eternal stop working for mere food instead work for those things for the food that brings eternal life and i say well what are the works of god what must we do We're following after you, we're getting in boats, we're chasing, we're keeping our tabs on what Jesus is doing. What is it that I have to do? It's the same give-and-take false religion that is pervasive at this time, that if I just do something, tell me the list of things to do. What time should I get up? How long should I pray for? What passage of Scripture ought I to read? What good deeds ought to I continue to do? These are the things that they ought to have been thinking about in this time and the things that we often think about. Good things. And yet they have the cart before the horse. They think that they can do works to earn the bread. They have a fear of missing out on God's salvation. They want to know what they need to do. And Jesus gives them this very simple, simple answer. This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. It's the message we preach each week. It's the simple gospel message. It's what all of the science have pointed to, to this point. It's about believing in Christ, the one who does the works of God for us. In fact, you can kind of look at this phrase here. What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus says, the work of God. That you believe in him who he has sent. God has done the work. God is the one who has done the work to bring about everlasting life through his Son, and we must trust and believe in him. It's a simple message. It's hard for them to fully understand, to accept. In fact, it's interesting to see their response. They say to him, What sign do you do that we may see and believe? Okay, Jesus, if we need to believe in you, what sign do you do that we can see it and believe it? What work do you perform? Because our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven. These are the same people that just saw Jesus feed 20,000 people with five biscuits and two fish. They want another sign that what Jesus is saying is true. It tells us a couple things. One, signs will never be a sure foundation for your faith. If we look at our current circumstances, the things around us, the way we feel today, as the way in which we can find assurance, we will always be in doubt. But there's something else going on here. They're almost denigrating what Jesus has done because... Jesus has just given them earthly bread. He took bread that already exists. It's bread that we eat all the time. But Moses, well, Moses, he brought bread down from heaven. Now, that's a real sign. That is far greater than what Jesus has done. That's essentially what they're getting at here. Jesus, are you actually greater than Moses? Because he did something that seems a lot greater than what you did. Jesus responds to them, saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. That's where our passage is ending for today. Uh, this phrase at the end, sir, give us this bread always, it harkens back to the woman at the well in John chapter 4 as Jesus is talking about water and Just give me this water that I may not come here and drink anymore. Yeah, give me the bread that I might not be hungry. Give me the answer. And Jesus is taking these ordinary things, water and bread. He's using them as signs to talk about something greater. At the woman at the well, he talked about water as being the spirit of god being placed into the hearts of his people that it would well up into eternal life and here talking about true bread that gives eternal life that comes down from heaven but just as the woman at the well didn't quite understand what was going on Neither do these people. I think at this point, they are still looking at Jesus. He's talking about bread coming down from heaven. Even though he's using this kind of person language, they're not getting it. They are thinking that he's going to do what Moses did. They want the bread. You see, they're stuck in the past. They want to be like the people that lived when Moses lived. More importantly than that, Jesus has given them the most simple answer of what it must do to be doing the works of God is to believe in Him. And yet they are not satisfied with that. They want Jesus to do something that's outside of Himself, they want Jesus to separate who He is from what He's teaching. They want to look to something out there. They think Jesus is just a means through which they can get to what they need to get. And what they're failing to see is Jesus is what they ought to be seeking truly. The crowd never understood the signs. They didn't understand that the bread points to Jesus. Just as the water pointed to Jesus giving the Spirit, so the bread points to Jesus, the one who can give us life. Everything Jesus has done up to this and everything he will do moving forward is a sign that points to who he is. The reason I wanted to focus a little bit on fear and motivation and how we drive and how that's playing into this is that opening scene as Jesus is crossing the water. John doesn't give us a lot of details. It's interesting how he includes it. It's almost as if he includes it here just to let you know how Jesus got from this place to Capernaum. It's like, oh yeah, by the way, Jesus went across the water without a boat. The other gospel writers give us a lot more details into what had happened. We don't want to dismiss the miraculous nature of him coming across three or four miles into the Sea of Galilee quieting the storm and miraculously bringing the boat to the other side. But it has this same element of fear. They saw Jesus, we're told by the other gospel writers, and they thought he was a ghost. They were no doubt terrified because of the situation they found themselves in. But the words that Jesus speaks to them, I think is the words that help us understand this whole passage. It is I, do not be afraid. It is I, do not be afraid. That phrase, it is I, it's just another conjugation of that phrase. I am. I'm am the bread. I am the tree. I'm the vine. Jesus, as he makes these statements, an allusion, perhaps, to the divine. But most importantly, a proclamation that he's there. And that because he is there, they do not need to be afraid. The people who have been following Jesus have been clamoring in fear. Fear that their loved ones might not get better. Fear that someone they know might die. Fear that they might not recover themselves. Fear that they might not have what they need or succeed in the way they want to. Fear that they might not understand what God wants. Do you have those fears? I do. they are at the essence of what it means to be human. These are the, the, the very questions we all must wrestle with. How ought we to live our lives? Who is God? What does he require? How can we be he' right. Our fears can drive us to different things. It drove these people to Jesus, but they never understood truly what these signs pointed to. And it should drive us to Him as well. And we should look to these words and as I, "I am here. Do not be afraid." We prayed earlier for a man who lived in Nigeria, a pastor that was arrested. Kidnapped, actually, not arrested. This is as legal as possible, not to mention horrific. Eventually, he was executed by a militant terrorist group. He sent a video out uh, after being captured. He didn't necessarily know he was going to be executed, but uh, it's, a sh- it's a shocking video because... He tells his wife and his family and his church not to weep, that nothing in his life is outside of God's control. I'm sure he had little hope of escaping, probably thought he would die, no doubt was being brutalized as a prisoner. As Boko Haram came into their village, they killed some people as well, and so... No doubt there was nothing good in the sight for him, and yet he was able to rejoice and to give people comfort because his fear was overcome by the great love of God in his life. He understood God's provision for him, even though in this life he was about to be slain. Even though he had just gone through such great sorrow, seeing his church ravaged by a terroristic group, himself facing death. And yet he points people to the ultimate truth that we do not need to be afraid if we are united to Christ. That he is here. That he is in control. I commend the video to you. I will try to post it after service. If you'd like to watch it. It gives us a glimpse into what the love of God and the effect it can have on our lives as we face these fears. A couple of passages come to mind as we think about fear. The first one is from Psalm 27. I'm sorry, Psalms. yeah, Psalm 27. Here's what David the psalmist says. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh? My adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. And though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. The psalmist here is expressing in the midst of the most dire circumstances, people that are coming to destroy his flesh, war rising up against him. Why should I be afraid? Why can't I have confidence? In fact... This is the only thing I ask. One thing I really seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord. This is what Christ has done for us. He has enabled us the sure path to dwelling in God's house. All of our lives and all of eternity. 1 John chapter 4 reminds us of this. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because he is so also Because as he is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We have not been perfected in love in the way that we see here. It's an already not yet situation for us. It's hard for us to grasp the love that god has for us but it's put forth for us in the signs that he's given to us sometimes we want to be stuck back into the signs of the old testament seeing the glory cloud following around in the wilderness this priest in front of a holy place sacrificing animals tangibly seeing what's happened that was all just a sign though it all pointed ahead to a far greater temple and a far greater sacrifice. And, and the sign that we are about to partake in is one that looks towards the fulfillment of those Old Testament signs and shadows. If we wanted to understand God's love and how it can help us overcome our fears, we don't want to look to ourselves and to our circumstances. We don't want to look to the past and our hopes to the future. We want to look to a person. that's what Jesus has continued to do time and time again. Draw people to himself. Take signs that point to himself. Reveal about himself. We look to that person, Jesus Christ, who, because of the great love he had for us, came, humbled himself, God becoming a man, living a toiled life of Pain and sorrow, revealing to us who God truly is. But his love is most personified in the cross, where he took upon himself this judgment, this punishment, our ultimate fear. How can we be made right with God? The answer to that is not to do things, but to look to the cross of Christ. This is the work of God, to believe in him. The one who has borne what we fear most. And he did it out of his great love for his people. And so when we grow in our understanding of Christ and the love he shows for us, it begins to unravel the fears we have. Throughout, throughout his gospels, there is all of these calls to the people of God to not fear Why are you afraid about that? Why are you concerned about tomorrow? Doesn't God take care of all of those things? And ultimately, when we look to the cross of Christ, we should just find comfort, knowing that if God would go through such lengths, suffer such great pain, that truly he has not done it in vain, that his promise has been secured for us the response of the disciples as they see Jesus coming is the response I hope we all have. As we are faced with fears and as the Lord reveals himself to us, behold, I am here. Do not be afraid that we would gladly welcome him into the boat. We would gladly welcome him into our fears. Trust in him for the things we can't control. That we would believe in Jesus, the one who has done the work we cannot. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ who shows us your love. Took upon himself our punishment, our sin. So that we could dwell in your house forever. Help us in the midst of our fears and uncertainties to look to him, to be reminded each day, each week through your word, through one another. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.